0: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Maya Culpa podcast. The whispers around Trump world about who might join the Mango Mussolini as his running mate in 2024 have begun to coalesce around Marjorie Toilet Green, Miss Jewish Space Laser, I mean the batshit crazy QAnon-supporting Georgia Congresswoman who makes Trump seem relatively sane by comparison. And that says a lot. But wait... There's more, there's always more. Rolling Stone reports that conservative nightmares Marjorie Taylor Greene and Carrie Lake are currently in a death race to be named Trump's 2024 Vice President. While the women have remained polite publicly, behind the scenes, the two view one another with intense distrust and disdain, each seeing the other as direct competition for Trump's political affections. Now, Marjorie Toilet Green views Lake as a direct threat for the job. And Green has reportedly gone beyond simple attempts to raise her own profile in the ongoing Trump deep stakes. And has recently taken to trash-talking the failed Arizona gubernatorial candidate to others in the MAGA elite, political circles, and conservative media. But the true irony in this death race is that Green has attempted to paint Lake as not serious enough to be a heartbeat away from the presidency. I mean, this is absolutely fucking true. Lake is a grifter without any serious qualifications. But this is quite rich coming from Marjorie Toilet Green who is best known for harassing school-shooting survivor David Hogg and bellowing into Nancy Pelosi's empty mailbox like a fucking stalker. That this person would let anywhere near the levers of power, much less the nuclear button. I mean, it's absurd bordering on fucking criminal. But then again, the same thing could be said about Donald Trump. And here we go. So as for whether or not either woman has any chance whatsoever of being named Trump's running mate, Trump seems to like the moxie shown by Marjorie Toilet-Green. And that said, his own advisors are terrified of the prospect of either of these two individuals being given that opportunity. So speaking of elections, new research is showing that the vaunted and often feared Trump bump is actually a liability. According to the Washington Post, having Trump's support is a huge asset to Republicans seeking their party's nomination. But when it comes time for the general election, Trump's endorsement is akin to a scorching case of herpes. So Philip Bump cites the finding of a 2020 University of Amsterdam study that determined Trump's endorsement cost Republicans get a load of this, a whopping 11 house seats in the 2018 midterm elections alone. Now a more recent study from the same school indicates Trump's endorsements provide a major boost to Republican candidates seeking again their own party's nomination, but hurts them when they face off against Democrats in the general election. Michael Hasselty who led the study, told Bump that endorsed candidates received a consistent and substantial electoral benefit in Republican primary elections, with these benefits growing marginally over time. Trump's endorsements came increasingly early in the election cycle, with an increased focus on backing likely winners and rewarding political allies during the primaries. But here's the difference. The study also determined that Trump's endorsement hurt candidates when they squared off against the Democrat by around 1.5 percentage points. And Bump writes that, and I quote, this pattern still looms over Trump. He has endorsed a candidate in the 2024 Republican presidential primary, and that candidate is Donald Trump. But that has helped power him to a big advantage over folks like DeSantis and the other candidates. But Democrats are hopeful that should he win the nomination, he will serve as a strong incentive for voters lukewarm about President Biden to come out and vote against Trump. In other words, they're hoping that the negative effect works on Trump himself, too. And now, my friends, it's time for Indictment Watch. And let's start with Trump's boasting on conservative Hugh Hewitt's radio show about how he is looking forward to testifying, I mean testifying in his own upcoming trials. And this is what he says. Oh, yes, absolutely. That I would do. I look forward to testifying at trial. I'll testify. Fucking bullshit. He doesn't want to testify. I promise you, this I know to be true. And Trump previously hinted at taking the witness stand in July before he faced a federal indictment over his alleged efforts to reverse the 2020 election results. We'll have fun on the stand with all of these people that say the presidential election wasn't rigged and stolen, Trump went on and wrote in a July social media post and then calling it the trial of the century. But the real story is not about Trump's testimony, but the testimony of his fellow co-conspirators who have begun to turn against the former president. In court documents and hearings, lawyers for folks in Trump's orbit are starting to reveal glimmers of a tried and true strategy in conspiracy cases with many defendants saying, don't blame me, I was only following orders. It was Trump. He made me do it. So let's stop for a moment and let's look at who flipped to date. In late August, an IT worker at Mar-a-Lago, he, well, he went ahead and changed his story about what he did or did not do in terms of erasing surveillance video, and agreed to cooperate with Jack Smith's prosecutors. That worker, Yuseel Tavares, has not been charged, but his previous statement was made under the legal direction of a Trump World lawyer. And after being informed that he could go down on a perjury rap, well, he did the smart thing. He decided to flip on Trump. And his testimony is said to be key for establishing obstruction of justice. Then, three GOP activists who were indicted alongside Trump in Georgia, all for trying to interfere with the certification of President Joe Biden's win in the state, declared that their actions were all done under orders from Trump, too. And last week, Trump's former White House chief of staff, Mark the Moron Meadows, while testifying in his change of venue motion, signaled that he will likely throw Trump under the bus in his own defense basically all the bad shit he did he did for trump and again he's saying don't blame him he was just doing his job now on justice matters podcast former prosecutor and a guy who's been on this program several times glenn kirchner said this was only the beginning and to expect a flood of flipping across all four cases Kershner went on and argued that based on his experience, the flipping always begins in cases involving multiple defendants or conspiracy charges. He went ahead and predicted that accountability would soon start flooding in for Trump. I've dealt with enough code defendant cases, conspiracy cases, RICO, the racketeering influence and corrupt organization cases, to tell you that at some point, at some point, the flipping always begins, Kirchner said. Then, at another point, the flipping tends to accelerate, and we are reaching that point right now. The attorneys who represent Trump's co-defendants will get the best deals for their clients, he added. Those best deals will absolutely involve cooperating against the kingpin Donald Trump. The walls are crumbling, and accountability will soon start flooding in. The idea that Trump only cares about Trump will have set in by now, and all of the 18 defendants will find themselves alone on an island. Each one of these individuals is also facing staggering legal bills that easily will run into seven figures. Now Trump, who is a cheap fucking bastard on the best of days, has indicated yo-yo, meaning you're on your own. Now with that in mind, each of these individuals have incentive to flip and potentially save themselves years behind bars and millions of dollars. Now, in my mind, Meadows will likely go first. Why? Well, because he's easy pickings, and he's likely already cooperated in the federal case against Trump. But here's something not to forget. The big prize will be Rudy Cludi drunken Giuliani. I mean, despite being a drunken fucking buffoon, and if you read the transcript, an alleged sexual predator... Giuliani has a wealth of information on Trump that could send his former boss to prison for a very, very long time. So the next couple of weeks will be interesting as all of these folks wrestle with the reality that they are serving a fraud who doesn't give a fuck about any of them. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is Grant Stern. Grant is the executive editor of Occupy Democrats and publishes the must-read Stern Facts newsletter on Substack. By coincidence, he happens to be a mortgage broker. He happens to also be a community activist and radio personality in Miami, Florida, as well as the producer of the Dorkin Report podcast. Grant is also an occasional contributor to Raw Story, to Alternet, and the DC Report, as well as an unpaid senior advisor to the Democratic Coalition and a director of Sunshine Agenda Inc., a government transparency nonprofit organization. Now, I know the guy is busy, but nevertheless, he joins me today on Maya Culpa to discuss his latest bombshell report on fake electors and to discuss the impact of the Enrique Tarrio sentencing plus much, much more. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Grant, let's kick off the day by talking about Henry Enrique Tarrio. If you would, discuss with me the importance of his conviction and the sentence that was handed down to him.
1: Well, Enrique Tarrio, uh, it was the head of the Proud Boys group, the national head of the Proud Boys group, after its founder, Gavin... Uh, McInnes uh, left. So his conviction is incredibly important because he was one of the true ring leaders of the violent groups that stormed the Capitol on January 6th. And he had law enforcement connections. He had political connections. He went to the White House. He knew the people on the inside. He was working with the people in the political parties. Tario was the bridge between the Proud Boys group and the national Republican establishment, the Trump Republican establishment, back in 2020. So his conviction is is a landmark uh, that one of the organizers is finally being held accountable, alongside uh, Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes, and and maybe the ultimate ringleader next. Yep.
0: Yeah. So just to provide info, some background sure, yeah. to info in terms of Enrique Tarrio, Wednesday they handed down a 22-year prison sentence for his role. The longest, yet, In the January, January 6th capital. Exactly. You know, for his role in the January 6th Capitol insurrection. And then the real yeah. question that everybody's talking about right now, which is why this matters. I mean, basically, it's just another, you know, it's another conviction. Uh, I believe 22 years is a... Very long time. Uh, I was on uh, CNN the other day with Abby Phillip, and I had turned around and I had said, "Look, I know because I was given a three-year sentence, and you know, even though I only spent 13 months in, and the rest of it on home confinement due to COVID, I tell you, the 13 months sucked. I can't even begin to imagine what is going on." in Enrique Tarrio's head right now when they're handed down a 22-year sentence, four years longer than, as you said, Oath Keeper's founder, uh, Stuart Rhodes. The thing that everybody, again, keeps bringing to the forefront is that at the sentencing, you see them all hysterical crying. I mean, I wonder, <laughs> yeah, that's I true. wonder at this point in time, what not only are they thinking... But the others that are part of, whether it's the Oath Keepers or whether it was part of the Proud Boys, what are these others thinking, the ones that are up next, even though they may not be the ringleaders, what they're thinking? And as I said to Abby Phillip, because I brought in what's going on now with Georgia, with the 18 co-defendants to Trump, what are they thinking as far as the way the courts are handing down, you know, sentences Well, I'll tell you, we
1: actually know what Enrique Dario is thinking in jail right now because he served a previous five-month term for destroying church property during a a Proud Boys uh, demonstration-slash-riot in D.C. And before the end of the term was up, he was begging to get out and complaining about his confinement conditions. So these are not hardened criminals that have come out of jail. These are people that have— No expectation, no understanding of what they've done and how bad this is really going to be for them. But I have a unique insight into that because last year I helped report how the Proud Boys have been infiltrating both the Miami Republican Executive Committee and the Broward County, which is Fort Lauderdale, Republican Executive Committee. These plans are not secret. They've put them on Rumble. They're out there on the Internet. They're on our websites on OccupyDemocrats.com and WashingtonPress.com. And as part of that reporting, I spoke with some of the ex-girlfriends of the Miami Proud Boys, right? Guys that were so hardcore, they were willing to, you know, get physical with women at the, the Miami GOP's dinner where Ron DeSantis was speaking and kick these people out, with even out even giving them a, a refund. And these women told us these Proud Boys are talking about fascism openly behind the scenes what are they thinking? They think that they're going to bully their way into real power. And they are not thinking that they're going to do this for some reason of helping a community. They make a plan. The plan is explicit. It's, it's made by a lawyer, for gosh sakes, up in Broward named uh, Gabriel. Oh, I can't remember his last name right now. Uh, Carrera. Gabriel Cabrera. Gabriel Carrera. I'll have to correct that later. But but I mean, uh, the lawyer up in Broward who made the plan made a video. Hey, We've got to be everybody's friend. We've got to go precinct by precinct. We've got to get one person after another to get behind what they call their red hot chili MAGA cause. And they are really thinking, and this is the truth, that they are going to attain power and use it to harm others. Period. They know that they are fascists. Miami Proud Boys and the Proud Boy organization is national But the heart has been here in South Florida. Roger Stone has been a huge part of it. Enrique Tarrio became the head of it after the founders stepped down. And I exclusively reported how Tarrio recorded and coordinated with Miami's Republican Party in 2018, all the way back in 2018, to attack a building where Nancy Pelosi visited. And I'm telling you, these people are fucking serious. They are fascists. They want to cause harm using the arm of the government. End of story.
0: Look, I got to tell you, Matthew Graves, who is the United States attorney for the District of Columbia, said openly in a statement, and this is why 22 years, even though they were looking for 33, here's what he said, which corroborates the statement that you just made on the seriousness of not just um, Tario, but also the Proud Boys and what they're looking for. No organization put more boots on the ground at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, than the Proud Boys. And they were at the forefront of every major breach of the Capitol's defenses, leading the -the on-the-ground efforts to storm the seat of government. That's a pretty scary statement for a United States attorney to come out and say, which is... One of the reasons that they felt justified in a 22-year sentence. You know, look, say whatever you want. 22 years is a fuck-long sentence, man. It's a really long sentence. That's a really long long sentence. long. I mean, I don't know how old uh, Enrique Tarrio. I think he's in his 40s. But by the time he comes out, I mean, the guy's on Social Security. Just about. And you know what?
1: The fact is that the Proud Boys have not gone anywhere. They have infiltrated Miami's Republican Party. And the head of the party said, well, they have a First Amendment uh, right to just do what they're doing. But they're not just doing that. The Proud Boys are the, the male wing, let's call it, of the Moms for Liberty group. Down here, the Moms for Liberty are one place. The Proud Boys are the next. I mean, they are terrorizing journalists they are going and they're speaking at public meetings, which is their right, of course. That's their First Amendment right. But, I mean, these people have become part of the base of the Republican Party in a much bigger way than anybody understands. And political violence is terrorism. That is terrorism. If you think Enrique Etario did the right thing on January 6th and did nothing wrong, which, by the way, is, you know, they wear T-shirts that says stuff like that, then you're no different than Osama bin Laden. Okay. The difference is, instead of bringing down a couple of towers, you decided to try to bring down the actual government itself, or your group did, the Proud Boys. They're they're an insidious group, and the fact is is that the Republican Party is waiting to be taken over by the Proud Boys. Because I'll tell you something, the Miami of today becomes the Florida of tomorrow, and the Florida of today becomes the America of tomorrow. I stole that from Billy Corbin, by the way, but it's true. And we both grew up down here. We're we're both from here. If you're not aware of this outside of Florida, it's happening. in America's Petri dish or armpit or whatever you want to call it, it's happening.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you, last week also, two additional sentences were um, given to uh, other uh, members of the Proud Boys. One guy, uh, Joseph Biggs, he got 17 years and then there's another one uh, named Zachary uh, Real, I think is how they pronounce right, it. Right, Zachary last name. Real. Zachary Real got a 15 year prison sentence. Again, you a- know, and I'll Dominic
1: Petzola. Dominic Petzola, the proud boy who, who was the initial person to breach the Capitol, he got what, 10 years, right? And he's just a foot soldier, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, it, these not, are long, serious sentences for incredibly grave acts against America, against all of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I'll tell you something. They're not. They're not fucking around, I'll tell you that, um not you at know, all. yeah, and he is he's um as i said he's uh turning i think he's forty or he's turning forty or something like that that's no joke, man you're going to spend fifty percent of your life fifty percent of your life behind bars, yeah, and um you know look uh there's there's a lot that can be said about our d o j and as I'm sure you've heard. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of the, the DOJ. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all there. Right. right? Um, I mean, But every now and then, they actually get this shit right. I think that other than Michael Cohen's case, which took place in 48 hours, everybody else's cases seem to have dragged on, and they seem to move slow. And I've said this many times, and I think it's worth uh, repeating, that the justice system the wheel of justice moves or turns very slowly, but it ultimately comes full circle. And you know, while this took place of course in twenty twenty one, two years ago, right? I mean it's coming on almost yeah. three years ago. Two and, and a half years now, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, of you know, that's that's a long ass time for these guys to have continued to be out there promoting their hate promoting their, you know, um, fascist uh, ideology and their autocracy, um, you know, power, you know, struggle. I mean, that's really, it's, they're, they're just dangerous. And the fact that they were able to hold them accountable for seditious conspiracy, obstruction of Congress, obstruction of law enforcement. I mean, those are real serious charges. And you know what? The worst part is, is that the guys
1: they put away um, now they're in their organization. They probably look at them as martyrs.
0: Right. I don't know. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about that one. You know, Trump didn't come through for any of these folks. Remember when he was talking to so many. Exactly. Punch that guy in the face. Don't worry. I got your legal bills. Fuck that. Donald Trump, he's not <laughs> even going to put out the money for the 18 co-conspirators in Atlanta. And some of these folks don't have two pennies to rub together. They can't even afford, including Rudy Colludi, and drunken Giuliani. I was just going to say, you're, you're just talking about Rudy. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have fucking two cents to rub together right now. And Donald's not even helping him. So what's the likelihood that he's going to be helping any one of these Proud Boys or Oath Keepers or anybody, even though these are the idiots that is supporting him. Actually,
1: you know what's really crazy? Sidney Powell was using her uh, nonprofit to help some of these January 6th defendants. And how wild is that? Of all the people, Sydney Powell was spending money to do that. And boy, I put out an incredible story about her. She was involved in things that even her closest associates during the post-election period, had no idea about a totally separate multi-state election intrusion plot that just you know emerged from the shadows in the last month, involving a former NRA board member named Bill Bakkenberg, uh, the guy who's in Pennsylvania. He was the chair of the Republican fake electors in Pennsylvania, who incidentally asked for some exculpatory language saying that they were provisional electors in their election certificates, which is why they've avoided the worst legal troubles. But he was hiring one of the fake electors in Michigan who got indicted herself for election intrusions cited in the Georgia-RICO conspiracy case and was paying money for Sidney Powell's election intrusion in Coffee County, Georgia. How insane is this web of of just conspiracy among these Republicans who are trying to overthrow our elections? And the whistleblower who brought it to me, he said, Look why else would they break into a Republican county on January 7th, 2021, a county Donald Trump won with 70 percent of the vote? They don't care about the 2020 election results. That was all a veneer. They care about 2024. It's unbelievable. It's happening in our country. It's on my my sub stack, which is grantstern.com uh Unbelievable stuff happening out there. And yeah, that was your. Thank that God was your somebody latest. is doing something about yeah, it. Yeah, that was your yeah.
0: latest Substack. This, um, I mean, it's a bombshell reporting. You know, um, and as you said, you know, that's tying Sidney Powell. There's something seriously wrong with Sidney Powell. I mean, there is. I I don't know even how to describe the the level of the indoctrination into this dumpster cult of Trump, where yeah. where where this, where she's getting it from. I mean, th- let me be clear. I was working for Trump from 2007 to 2017. Actually, I had worked for him, not working for him, but working as a lawyer where he was my client prior to 2007. But I'm with him for well in excess of a decade. And during in that- transactional of,
1: real estate. Transactional
0: yes. real estate work. Correct. Right. And during that- period of time, including the year of 2017. I never heard of Sidney Powell. I never heard her name. She wasn't part of the campaign. She wasn't part of the post campaign, the, when he became uh, president-elect or when he became president. All of a sudden, this dipshit shows up You know, at the very end, when Trump is, as my grandmother used to say, of Gachat Tzuras, right, she's got real troubles, right, all of a sudden (laughs) she shows up and she's now involved in all of this wackadoodle shit. I mean, so you dropped this bombshell on the substack, right? Tying Sidney Powell to the Pennsylvania Republican fake elector chair, Bill Bakkenberg. And there's this multi-state scheme, again, designed to subvert the 2020 and coming up the 2024, 2024 elections. Right. How badly do you think that she's now going to get fucked? Oh, my gosh. I mean...
1: First of all, I'm surprised now that Sidney Powell didn't get somehow tied up in the Michigan stuff. But it's clear that prosecutors have honed in on all of these documents that these folks have been trading. And from what my report says, essentially the funders were using lawyers like cutouts and not like lawyers. A lawyer, as you know, has attorney-client privilege when they're representing a client in a matter of law. But when they're not working in a matter of law, they're just acting as a business agent or something. The the privilege, the secrecy, doesn't adhere. Well, it but doesn't these exist. are Republicans, it right? Doesn't it doesn't exist. exist. And, and so these are Republicans that are using lawyers like a mob boss uses a lawyer. Well, I'm going to funnel some dark cash through my lawyers here, and in fact, I want to keep my hands so clean. I'm going to have my lawyers send my money to my, another lawyer to get things done. This is what the report says. You know, but Sydney is an in- incredibly interesting case. I've spoken with lawyers who knew her from before the Trump era, and she was respected. Her book, uh, Criticizing the Justice Department, uh, as the other lawyers have said, if not well written, at least highlighted real examples of prosecutorial misconduct. OK, but from the day she met Michael Flynn, I'm imagining that everything for Sidney Powell changed. And I mean everything. Michael Flynn is he's a singular character. In the right. And he is certainly one of the most important people that's not been indicted for anything. I mean, this is a man who who uh, uh, signed a plea deal saying he got uh, he lied to the FBI and admitted to a list of other crimes. We're talking about Foreign Agents Registration Act crimes and all sorts of serious stuff for a man who is a high ranking former member of the military. And Michael Flynn's job at the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, People don't understand, what does a defense intelligence agency do, do, right? I mean, part of it is they find out what's happening, right? They gather intelligence of, you know, for the military, battlefield intelligence. They find out what's mm-hmm. going on. But part of it is they're in charge of what, what was called in Vietnam as winning the hearts and minds. And part of that could be propaganda. That's how he got involved in the Trump campaign. He was involved with a military psychological warfare company called... Cambridge Analytica. So when you look at what happened, well, he hired Sidney Powell to defend him while Donald Trump's old attorney general, Bill Barr, your nemesis, went and defended Michael Flynn from the inside after and that after the plea was entered. And, you know, anybody in the law knows after a plea deal is entered, it's almost impossible to take it back when it's accepted by the court, you know. Uh, If a plea deal is finalized, it's almost impossible to appeal it, to remove it. Um, They're very hard to undo. They're a final judgment of the law, right? And so he brings in Sidney Powell to make all this ruckus. And I'm just guessing here that he indoctrinated her too. Michael Flynn is a dangerous individual. He understands people in a way that I think uh, people don't understand about him. And he understands how to influence them and to influence them and then to, you know, Essentially, win them to his side and make them part of his, as he called it, a digital army. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where all this comes from with Flynn in particular. But I'll tell you, I I, made, I put out some reporting back in 2007 about the really, really mysterious origins of Michael Flynn because he was Democrat. OK, he was a registered Democrat. He had worked for the Obama administration. You know, think about it. Donald Trump and Barack Obama had one meeting in the White House before Donald Trump assumed the presidency and his only advice was whatever you do do not hire Michael Flynn. Well, we see <laughs> yeah. how
0: that all worked out. You know, which is funny because Michael Flynn and I've spent uh, quite a bit of time with him. I could see uh, I could see your point that he's a very unassuming guy. You know, you're not talking about, you know, what you would think for general right I mean you know you're he's he's a little guy I mean he's what five seven maybe 150 pounds uh I mean he's not what you would think he's not like um you know you get a guy like James Comey as an example who's like six <laughs> foot seven <laughs> yeah. right I yeah. mean you know or you or he's you not the guy with, that walks
1: into the room and everybody turns their head
0: yeah and but I could mm-hmm. see your point he um he has a way of Getting into your head, I suspect, and he certainly did that to um, Sidney Powell. And boy, are they going to throw the book at her? They're going to throw the book at all of these 18 co-defendants. Code it's why I said um, yesterday on CNN that the smart, the smart ones will try to provide information early on. Because of after a while, you know— it, there's no there's no benefit to the additional information. All you're doing is already corroborating somebody else's corroborated testimony that's backed up by documentary evidence, uh, which, you know, could be uh, some writing text messages, emails, uh, memos, et cetera. But I want to this ask is- you this, because there's a lot of folks that are out there, a lot of these you know pardon my french for actually don't pardon my french cuz my french is my french these fucking you know pundits these idiots you know as i like <laughs> oh, to oh say gosh. and they're on they're on every they're on every fucking station right and they, these pundits they're like yeah but these guys and referring to like the proud boys or the oath keepers and you know these guys are harmless clowns that they broke a few windows and ganged up on folks, but were never some pallid military you know um, organization capable of overturning an election. Grant, what says you? You know, I'm sure
1: pundits in the King George's Court in 1773 said the exact same thing about the Americans in Boston, okay? I mean, this is the dumbest hot take there is. But it's what's called conventional wisdom, right? In other words, if you're stupid, you have no evidence, you're going to believe something like this. The reality is is that influence matters. It matters a lot, okay? Influence is what they call soft power. Well, why would you call it power if it's not powerful? Influence matters. These people have influence. They influence others, okay? And the funny thing about it is that if you – These pundits had spent any time outside of the political arena, right? They would understand how influence works inside of peer groups, right? I interviewed a former cop that was part of LAPD's Rampart division. Yes, the one that caused the movie to happen. He was there, right? Mm -hmm. And he told me about how there's not a lot of cops that are terribly bad. There really aren't. But the sociopaths wearing badges... Dominate the conversation. They dominate the culture. They demand adherence. They demand attention. No different than the sociopath we had in the White House for four years. Okay, just by demanding attention, by holding the mic, by those other people having to hear what's being said and then pressure and they pressure more and they pressure more. And that's how a small group of people can influence a large group of people. And it happens in the outside of the Republican Party. It happens everywhere. Do you think the resistance happened because there was a million people who were all super influential and they influenced a bunch more? No, it was a very small group of very influential people who then motivated a million people to get up in arms and, and use their First Amendment rights and change things. And that's how changes always happen. Small groups of people create Ideas, and you can't kill an idea, you can't fight an idea with your hands, you can't kiss an idea. Ideas have a life all their own in an intelligent species, which sometimes it can be hard to say that we have that in American politics. But intelligence, ideas, they matter. And these people are sociopaths, they're injecting these ideas into the Republican Party on the grassroots
0: level and turning
1: them into the agenda nationally.
0: But Grant, here's the problem. Everybody, whether you like the ideology or not, whether it's uh, white supremacy, whether it's um, you know any hate group, they have a fundamental First Amendment right to hate. They absolutely, of course they, they do. I never said they don't. do. Right? You know the point. But they I was don't trying- have a
1: right to be amplified by a, a social media platform. They don't have a right for a political party to pick up their hate and turn it into their platform, well, right? Those aren't rights. Do. Those are decisions. Well, Those are decisions. Sure They decision, have the right to speak it right here to you, to me on this sidewalk, but look, they don't have a right to be amplified.
0: Well, And that's what's happening here. Well, they do. Th- what they don't have a right to do is to bring guns, bear spray, baseball bats, you know, zip ties, knives, pipes. Body armor. Body armor. Yeah, and sharp attack. objects, yeah. Sure, and attack. Oh,
1: how about the guy with the v- good, the person with the bombs? You know, everybody forgets the bombs on January 6th because they didn't blow up. But certainly they caused a little ruckus. I mean, outside of the DNC. Outside sure. the RNC, they're, like, right next to each other, by the way. Yep. I mean, they're really close by. Yeah, and I don't believe they ever
0: found out who it was that planted them. Uh, who we knows? We still maybe, don't know to this day. Well, maybe one of these uh, Proud Boys or Oath Keepers that are looking at 22 years, maybe they want to get a couple of years off that sentence. But, you know, look, that's the whole problem. It's the whole argument that everybody's making now. It's, well, they do have a First Amendment right to their free speech. And if your free speech is hateful speech, well, it's okay. You know, you are allowed to do that. What you're not allowed to do is try to storm the Capitol. You're not allowed to try to hang Mike Pence. You're not allowed to try to kill Nancy Pelosi. You certainly can't smash, you know, windows and enter a, you know, a government building in order to seize it, to take it over. And especially to do so with the intent on stopping a congressional act, which is required in order to have the peaceful transfer of power. And you may remember Absolutely. at my, you know, at my um, House Oversight Committee hearing, I turned around and I warned, I warned the country. The, I, I think about it every world. day, man. I and do. I Donald think about Trump, it. Like seriously, right, at
1: random times, I think about this. You know, I'm like, shit. Michael Cohen sat there in front of Congress on national television. Everybody saw it. And he said, this man is never going to let go of the White House no matter
0: what. If Donald Trump loses the election, that there will never be a peaceful transfer of power. And I said it because I had sat by this man for over a decade on a daily basis, spoke to him dozens of times per day. And I understand how he thinks. And I understand What he wants. And I understand the depth to which he will go in order to obtain what it is that he wants. And we are all seeing it. And I'll tell you something. And this infuriates me more than almost anything. The fact that Donald Trump and Joe Biden today are polling neck and neck if if there was a general election held tomorrow... That infuriates me. You have a guy who was impeached twice, indicted four times, ninety-one counts against him. All right, you're talking about somebody all well substantiated, by the way. I'm not. I'm not questioning any of that stuff. It's it's already there. You have a guy who was also found guilty of sexual assault all right, who's now going to get smacked Twice. again for a second time, right, on again. another defamation claim. No, 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 he and lost today. He lost a judgment on all that. the facts. He's just right. getting a
1: damages trial. It's just a
0: damages two. award, exactly. Which
1: so is we'll ironic for out. the first case of the two because the first case to go to trial was the
0: second gene case. This is the first gene case. I mean... He's also, by the way, <sighs> lost uh, another motion that he filed, um... Not more than an hour ago, Judge Engeron turned around and slapped down his attempt to delay the New York attorney general civil case uh, against Donald and the corporation, claiming it was a ridiculous or uh, it was a ridiculous motion uh, and denied. You know what? Judge Engeron only used nine words. And I think he was really
1: thinking Donald Trump can go fuck himself now because, (laughs) I mean, that was a very
0: terse order. Denying the request for a delay. He said it was ridiculous. Very terse. Uh, yeah. And, you know, um, if, you, if you know the exact nine words, uh, I, I didn't commit it to memory, but <laughs> I did see the document. But I, I want It was something like, this is frivolous and we're not doing this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's exactly the game. That's, that's yeah. the playbook that I talked about. You know, Using he will due look process to, to buy time. He will time. look to delay whatever he can in order to buy time because he truly believes— that if he wins, all of this shit goes away. You know, that's, that's the, not just the
1: Donald Trump mindset, although he's adopted it wholly, but that's like, in many ways, the corporate mindset is that they're not worried about the future, not a year from now, not 10 years from now, not a month from now, not next week. Try to win the day, just win today, win the minute, then win the hour, then win the day, then win another day. And if you just win a day of delay here, a minute here, a day there, you add them all up. And eventually the delays start to stack up into the future. And that's
0: his strategy. Yep. Yep. That certainly it really is. is. I just want to go back to the Proud Boys for a second because oh, yeah, sure. they seem to have shifted tactics from being what they wanted, which is a national organization, right? Some crazy, whacked out platform on a national organization, to being more hyper-local. Infiltrating right. local GOP organizations and trying right. to intimidate on a city by city level. Now, this is if you think about it, it's much more insidious and potentially it's, it's definitely a potentially effective plan in the long run for the Proud Boys. Right. If you would, just me the danger here and the potential outcome.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that is exactly what I reported on last year. Uh, You know, we scooped the New York Times. We went much further than them. And that is their game plan. They're going to go block by block while everybody is looking for them on social media. They're going to be walking the streets a little bit more. And, you know, the Republican Party is just not a grassroots organization. It's it's a very elite little organization So the fact that these people are doing anything grassroots gives them a certain amount of power within the Republican Party, right? It's a fringe, but these kind of fringes can suddenly expand rapidly to become a base. And in the Republican Party, as we've all seen, you only need 30 percent of the vote to elect a presidential nominee. Think about that, folks. 30 percent of the vote. Donald Trump didn't win the majority of all the primary votes in 2016. He won a plurality The Republican Party is literally designed to empower the most extreme minorities within the party itself. So their chances of grabbing more power within the Republican Party are very high. There's not a lot we outside of the Republican Party can actually do about that unless there's a political decision made at the top end that white supremacy is not a good thing anymore, that (sighs) anti-Semitism is bad, that hate is wrong. Okay, these people are, we're not the traditional hate group. The Proud Boys are like, we're not a traditional hate group. How could we hate anybody? Look, we have an Afro-Cuban guy that was our our head of the group. I mean, yeah, he's in jail for seditious conspiracy because he wanted to overthrow America. But that means we're not real bigots, but they are real bigots. That's the Proud Boys thing. And I'll tell you, (laughs) until these Republicans say we're going to turn our backs on hatred because this is a gun that could be pointed in both directions and it could ruin us just as surely as it ruins everybody else out there. And stop with the false equivalents and stop with lying to themselves. I spoke with a Jewish woman who said that the Nazis aren't real two weeks ago and she's a Republican. I could not believe what I heard. Yeah. But that's the kind of denial that Republicans have come to. With these extremists in their midst, and until they exit the magical thinking land of everything's okay and the Nazis don't exist, there's going to be a lot of trouble in this country. And it's got to come from within. We can pressure them. (laughs) And what we've done is really important because we've shrunk the numbers of Republicans, and we need to keep shrinking them like a cancer in our country, right? Until eventually a core group of them says, enough with the hate.
0: Yep. I actually thought that we were, but... It goes to show you Trump opened up Pandora's box to this and he turned around and he showed them that it's OK to have this hate and it's he OK to did. express it publicly. No longer right. hiding in their little caves, right in their little in their little, you know, basements under mom's yep. house, you know, having Forget, their having their meetings. Nazi now pride. It's out. It, it yep. was
1: Nazi pride week all yep. for four years. Infrastructure week didn't work out, but Nazi pride week never stopped. And, and unfortunately, in the Republican Party, it still hasn't stopped. Right. And it's because of the you know, it, it's because people have prejudices. But this is extreme. But this resonates with the people who are inside of this party today. And that's that's really sad. But I got to tell you something about the polls you mentioned. OK, take those polls and throw them in a bath, uh, drown them, throw the bath into a river, throw the river into space. None of that matters. In 1983, people were writing the same stuff about Ronald Reagan. The New York Times published a Gallup poll in 1983 saying Reagan was losing by seven points to Walter Mondale. The National Journal, a very respected uh, you know, insiders, uh, Beltway Journal, was writing that is Reagan's economic plan going to be enough for him to win? It, because 36 percent of poll respondents thought he shouldn't run and 46 percent. Approved of his job rating. Almost identical numbers to what Joe Biden sees. It's a generational thing. Here we are 40 years later, but history is repeating itself. You know, Democrats have learned. If you want to wield power, you have to do it in a way that history says is going to work out. And history says it, the power of incumbency is the biggest power there is. Any Democrat who thinks anybody else should be on the ticket besides Joe, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., is just saying they think Trump should have another chance. They don't know it. Maybe they're, they're convinced by these pundits who don't know nothing about nothing. They graduated from journalism school and went into punditry school and went left yep. punditry school and went into bloviating. But I'm telling you, these polls mean nothing, nothing at all.
0: Well, I will tell you, I was thinking about you know somebody like Enrique Tarrio in prison. And I'm saying to myself, you know, not that where I was at, uh, at the beginning, you know, where they, where they held us uh, for the COVID, where they had me for 51 days in solitary. That was the real prison. <sighs> Terrible. Before, before that, I was at the, you know, the lowest level. Um, it, there, in fact, there were no gates. And I, and I had a car. I don't know if you know that, but I actually had access to a truck. I had uh, a truck wow. that I used to drive around, uh, you know, moving some of the equipment. I had access. If I wanted to leave the grounds, I could have just driven off. In fact, I could have called an Uber. And that's how i that's how I could have escaped, but why would you it's the it's minimal minimal, minimal, lowest security that you could imagine you know there's like hundred and twenty guys there for four guards, three guards, so it's not a place anybody wants to escape because if you do leave, you end up across oh, the across it. the road yeah. where all, so i'm thinking to myself about Enrique and saying. Where's he gonna fall in into a group? He's certainly not gonna be with the white supremacists. They're not gonna be taking him because don't he's be so sure. right. Well, I'm pretty sure of it. So yeah, sure. yeah, I'm almost hundred percent sure. They they're not going to take him because of his because of his uh, mixed uh you know um race. And they' he that would be completely opposite of their mantra and so on. He's not gonna be you know, well regarded by a whole slew of folks. I think he's gonna have a very, very tough time. And I was just thinking about that the other day as to like what group that he would end up falling into. Um it's certainly I mean, not going to be it's it's certainly not a group going in to be prison oh, of is there just what?
1: FBI snitches. Is there a group in prison that's just FBI snitches? Yeah, I'm because sure they'll fall will be. into that group, I think, first.
0: Yeah, well, hang out with Donald a little longer and they'll be a very big group. They'll have their own prison. <laughs> but I do want to ask you this because going back to Donald now for a second, because Donald sure. seems to be playing a really dangerous game with Judge Tanya Chutkin. Um, you know, as he oh, yeah. continues to threaten, cajole, continues to make these extra ju- uh, extrajudicial threats on social media, you know, all in opposition to motions that have been upheld in his case. So my question to you, Grant, is at what point does Chutkin, or any of the other judges for that matter, finally slam the fucking gavel down and jail Trump for contempt? You know, I think that she's going to, just like the Justice
1: Department did, she's going to give him every single opportunity to not go to jail for contempt before he goes to jail for contempt. And that's part of our two-tier justice system. If you're moneyed up, lawyered up to the teeth, ready to fight endlessly without regard for how much it costs, then you're in one tier of the justice system. That's the Trump tier. Mm-hmm. For the rest of us who have a budget, who have a life, who have a conscience, you know, who who just actually have too much conscience to to be so mean and horrible and oppositional to someone who's a real authority figure with. Confirmed by the Senate unanimously as a federal judge, uh, people like us—we're not going to sit there and be mean to the judge. I'm dealing with a, a judge right now in Miami Dade who issued what I think is the worst order I've ever seen in my life, period. And I'm not out there screaming to the, the 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 you know to the high hollows about how terrible this person is. I go to my lawyer. I say file something in court. But that's what he wants. He wants to be punished because then he's going to try and claim that he's got an unfair trial. His only chance at a, uh, winning this trial where the facts are so black and white, the, the testimony is already sitting there like all the witnesses have testified. It's to poison the trial. It's to try and cr- claim the judge isn't, uh, you know, is, 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 is uh, partial against him and to try and elongate the appeals processes and to just kick up dirt. And no person in America should be allowed to walk into the courtroom dump a sack of, uh, of dirt into the middle of it, kick it in all directions, and claim that his trial was biased because there's too much sand in the air. It's just not how American justice should work. So eventually he's going to get punished, but he's really trying to push it all the way up to the edge because for him the grift is profitable. And that's pretty sad, too, that his followers are so indoctrinated, so blinded by Fox News, decades of Fox News. Fox News, a company who, when they pulled. People all over the country, huge survey, they found out that Fox News viewers knew less about the news than people who didn't watch the news. (laughs) And those people, those people are the ones who are handing over some of their life savings to this grifter, this sociopath. It's fucked up and
0: sad. Yeah, well, there's several of them uh, in the Republican Party. And I wanted to bring, you know, something else around. So last weekend, for example, Florida judge, Florida judge. Struck down congressional district lines for northern Florida, of course. Yes. Advocated by the sociopath Governor Ron DeSantis, the De sanctimonious, to snot nosed, the shithead, whatever the hell DeSensor. you want to call him. Decensor. DeS- exactly. Okay. Ruling, ruling that the Republican governor's map had improperly diluted black voting power. Oh yes. What's the significance in this ruling in terms of the congressional uh, map? And what other cases are pending that could also yield similar results? This is a real problem. So, for starters,
1: there's a bill in Congress that could fix all of this. Okay, it's the Freedom to Vote Act. It includes the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, reenacting a map to fix the Voting Rights Act, which enforces the 14th Amendment, And you should all, every single person here should lift up a phone or write an email, call your congressmen, your senators today, especially if you live in a red state. Tell them, I want you to pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Joe
0: Manchin sponsors this one, okay? Um, And while you're at it, by the the way, and while they're at it, send a postcard to Joe Biden. Pardon Michael Cohen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll let you throw that one in there. You're the host. so. (laughs) So what this ruling in Florida
1: says, and I'm going to get to the rest later because I actually wrote a huge Twitter thread that's got over a million views so far and counting about this. But what, what the ruling in Florida says is that beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt, Ron DeSantis is a racist politician. In the past, they would call him a Dixiecrat. OK, he's a man who intentionally took away a black held seat that was drawn that way to comply with the Voting Rights Act. And it's not like usual where you say, oh, it was a legislature, a bunch of people decided this. No, the Florida legislature passed a map that complied with the VRA. The governor vetoed the map. He bullied the legislature to push it through and he took away four, not one, but he actually took away four Democratic seats. All they can do with the VRA is restore one black held seat which was held by a Democratic congressman named Al Lawson. Al Lawson said he's going to run again once the maps are done. It, it shows you why in Florida the Republicans were actually considering there's an actual bill filed to make it defamation per se if you call somebody a racist. How screwed up is that? Yeah, it's an opinion. If you say this person's a racist, that's my opinion. It's my First Amendment right to say it. In Florida, they want to make that defa- defamation. Per se, on its face. This is insane. I mean, I interviewed Michael the black man. You know who he is, right? The I guy do. that stands behind Trump
0: and, and he's got the
1: sign. Yeah, yeah the one that no, says pub-
0: in, uh, blacks for Trump and he's actually on the payroll.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he published a, a full page ad in the local tabloid saying that the head of the Miami Republican Party is racist. He was shocked when I told him that Republicans want to make that defamation. He said, how can you restrict calling somebody a racist if you can't say who someone really is, like Ron DeSantis, for example? And these maps deprive people of their vote, period. It's insane. Ron DeSantis did it without even thinking. And where is this happening? It's happening in all the states of the Deep South that were covered by the preclearance provisions of the Voting Rights Act. That's how they enforced it, because they said, look, endless litigation serves nobody. It's costly, and here we are with people who just don't care, right? They're going to cheat, go to court, cheat again, go to court, cheat again— just like Donald Trump, they're winning the day, winning the next day, winning the far, further do, day. We do won me, the do election, and they go on. Yeah, do me a yeah. favor. Just
0: remind me who was this guy? Because I think I have him confused with somebody else. I thought that that's the guy who's part of the Trump uh, campaign uh, for uh, who's running uh, Blacks for Trump, who I believe is on the payroll of the Trump campaign. Different guy, correct? Uh, I made a mistake. Michael
1: Simonette. Uh, Michael Simonette is. Blacks for Trump. I don't know if he's necessarily involved with the campaign, but certainly he was given the privileged spots behind Donald Trump for many years. Uh, you know, he's a mega MAGA. Um, Michael Simonette is from Miami. He he used to uh, be part of the Yahweh Ben Yahweh cults. He was charged with the murder conspiracy and, and acquitted. Um, that that's the guy we're talking about. He, yeah. You would recognize him. You could actually Google Michael Michael the Black Man. Uh, but hearing him tell me that it's insane that people like Ron DeSantis want to ban. Uh, you know, being able to say that someone else is a racist. Yeah,
0: so I am. So I was. Um, it cor- just shows I was you correct.
1: how how this is really impacting even Republicans. Yeah. Like Republican racism is now eating their own.
0: Yeah. So I was I was correct. It's the guy who's standing behind. this. generally there's yeah. three or four um, black yes. black people that they have holding up signs. They put them camera right over Trump's shoulder, camera left, yes. in order because something that I said to Trump going back to 2015. Uh, When he was doing all the rallies, I said, with all due respect, boss, I said, your rallies look like Klan meetings. I mean, there is no (laughs) diversity in that at all. And that's when I had started something called the National Diversity Coalition to try to get people. I never in my life expected Donald Trump to become the worst version of himself imaginable. And he actually even exceeded that. He has become completely... A completely different human being altogether. He was always an asshole, but it was an asshole in the real estate world here in New York. And so many of the developers are assholes. They fuck well, over the Well, it's hard to tell, right? In New York
1: and real estate, that's hard to tell the it's, difference. It's I totally sure. agree. Yeah. You know, but here
0: on the national stage, not just you know, in, for America, but the world, the guy's instincts have become the worst. The worst imaginable, uh, the worst fascist, autocratic, monarchical type of belief in himself. His narcissism, his sociopathy has literally exploded in that peanut brain of his, whereby he legitimately believes that he is the second coming of Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he can lead this country into a better place. That's the bullshit lie that he wants people like these these um, folks with, you know, four teeth and three brain cells. That's, that's what he is trying to relate to them, and they're buying it, when in fact, really what he does is he looks at others. He looks at Kim Jong-un, Mohammed bin Salman. He looks at Vladimir Putin. When they told him Vladimir Putin is hands down the richest guy in the planet because... He owns 25% of the entire country. Trump is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on one second. Our gross national product, right, um, our GDP is— huge. It's 50 times that of Russia. That would make me 50 times minimum bigger than Vladimir Putin. And that's what he wants. He wants— everything in this country to be run and shared with him the way that putin does that's what he's really looking for and that's what he's looking for in this presidency but i do want to ask you this talk to me if you would about sure about the history of this cuz you just brought it up the history of this racially gerrymandered map in the south and you know how you know today's current conservative supreme court that in all fairness, these, these assholes, I mean, they seem content to let these rulings stand. That's the part I don't understand.
1: Well, that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I'm ready for this question. It's a tough topic, but, you know, you have to know history. If you don't know history, you're, you're living in a world that is two-dimensional, okay? And if you understand the history of where all this stuff came from and, and what it's caused— You'll understand how insidious it is. Okay, we're talking about America coming out of the Civil War. They passed the 14th Amendment to ban insurrectionists from holding office in government like Donald Trump, for example, the MTGs of the world. But they also passed acts giving due process, applying it to the states, you know, guaranteeing the right to vote, that sort of thing. Well, that was not popular with the white population in the South. And after Abraham Lincoln was gone, we had someone who was very sympathetic to the South come in. It wasn't until uh, the next president, Ulysses Ulysses S. Grant, came along and the KKK Act was passed, which is now called 42 U.S.C. 1983. It's the the, the law that lets you sue local officials who violate your civil rights under color of law. That act was passed and the DOJ was basically created to enforce those civil rights acts. The Federal Department of Justice didn't exist before the Civil War. Think about how transformational all this was when they said on paper that black people would have rights equal to white people. The white people did not have it. By the end of the the 19th century, Jim Crow had arrived. And that's what we're dealing with today, which is the condition of a very small, wealthy elite using their money and influence to influence people to hate in order to vote for things That they need because these wealthy people are filled, uh, their bank accounts are filled with cash, but they only got one vote. They need allies. And so Jim Crow came about to write all of this racism into law in the southern part of America, right? And it didn't happen overnight. One of the interim steps was the use of sheriffs actually taking away people's rights, turning the freed black people back into slaves under another name. There's an incredible book uh, called Slavery Under Another Name that I've read, which describes it in an intense detail, right? Uh, the, the movie uh, Life with Eddie uh, Murphy and Martin Lawrence actually mm-hmm. depicts that, an Angola prison in, in Louisiana, Louisiana, for example. So all of this led to Jim Crow and actually putting hatred and racism into law, which, as you see, is the exact method of operation of the Ron DeSantis's of the world. It, when you create racism... In law, it creates a situation that is so far worse than anything imaginable by simply someone's First Amendment rights saying what they expressing their opinions. Okay. There was a group of people that looked at Jim Crow, America, and they said, You can put racism into law and then enforce the laws, and everything is okay. We're gonna do that too, right? They thought this was brilliant, right? And they had this party called the National Socialist Workers Party. And people just called them Nazis for short. And we all know how that turned out. The Nazis literally took their Holocaust ideas from Jim Crow. That's how insidious this stuff is. And when Lyndon B. Johnson finally wrangled the Democratic votes to end Jim Crow in the 1960s. And LBJ was a very racist man but he felt guilty. And when he did that, he wanted to end it. But opportunists saw that there were votes out there you could wrangle in the same exact way by selling them to the highest bidder, by using money to influence people to vote against their own interests in the name of the racism that they hold closer to their heart than their own well-being. And it's a disgusting thing to do. But the Republican Party is married to that. They called it the Southern strategy, Lee Atwater, the man who created that for the Republican Party, Ronald Reagan's strategist, the man who had Ronald Reagan start his campaign in Philadelphia, Mississippi, yep. absolutely exposed it before he died of brain cancer. It's been known for a whole generation. So, I mean, where we started has dictated where we've gone since then, and that's why.
0: Let me ask you this then, since we're on this topic of the whole racism and anti-Semitism The Anti-Defamation League right now is focusing on the rising level of anti-Semitism and hate speech that has surfaced on the platform, right, formerly known as Twitter X, right, since Elon Musk took over the company. Now, Sherilyn Eiffel said of Elon Musk, and I'm gonna quote, this man takes no responsibility for his failures. His tweets his welcome and embrace of extremists, his capricious, decision, um, his capricious decision-making, juvenile stunts, disparagement of news sources like NPR and the New York Times, and contempt for those who brought value to the brand has strangled Twitter, not ADL. Do me a favor if you can. Unpack for my listeners what she's saying in response to Musk, because I'm seeing everywhere Elon Musk is an anti-Semite. You know what? That's a great topic. I was actually on a
1: pro-Elon Twitter spaces. They haven't renamed that yet, by the way. Um, I was on a pro-Elon Twitter spaces where they were saying, well, why isn't it the ADL's fault? They re- released a report and they made statements. You know, Twitter did not become a successful company worth $44 billion in a day. Elon Musk showed up and in a day pretty much destroyed 14 years worth of the machinery that they built to generate an advertising juggernaut. Now he turns around and scapegoats a civic service organization whose main role is supporting one group of people, but for the benefit of all, because hatred against any, you know, Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. The ADL could not have a better motto than that. They didn't make that, of course, but it's true. And that's why the ADL exists. So he's sitting there blaming the ADLs, you know, oh, they're worth at least 10% of the problems that I caused my own company. That kind of scapegoating, that kind of Uh, magical thinking and seeking to place blame instead of just looking inward at yourself and saying, what have I done? That is the source of so many of the world's ills. It's the source of so much racism and hatred. Externalizing the things that we don't like about ourselves is the most dangerous thing that we can do, right? And it's not easy. People do not have an easy time admitting I made a mistake. I was wrong. I mean, I'm a journalist, right? We have a correction policy. We admit mistakes when we make them. Rarely. Elon Musk has so <laughs> much, so much. Well, I, I very rarely make mistakes, so that's true. But Elon Musk has so much more power over the physical world. And when he makes a mistake, people die. OK, hundreds of Americans have died because of Elon Musk's mistakes. And these mistakes were made out of negligence, things like the auto the full auto drive you know the full driving update a uh, full self driving update excuse me for tesla i mean how many people are going to be sickened by spacex having explosions in southwest texas we don't know yet who nobody knows they're, they're just blowing chemicals all over the place you know elon musk needs to look at himself in the mirror and not see what he wants to see but see how others see him and you know it's tough accepting criticism, listening to it, seeing it in your face. Haven't you seen Mean Tweets? That's one of the most popular late night show bits, uh-huh. right? Mean Tweets where people read Mean Tweets about themselves. That's what like, being on Twitter is like. You know that. You used I to did block it. me on Twitter for I, God's sake.
0: I did, I did it. Um, by the way, when I was on Charlemagne the God, they had me reading off Mean Tweets, which I thought was really funny. Uh, and I find the ones – I think it's Jimmy Kimmel who does it. Uh, as well, it's uh, I think it's just hilarious because it's true. You know, after yeah. a while, you know, after a while, if you what can't you can't face do. that, yeah. But if after you a while, what you, do is you, to, you what do is you just have to, you just have to block these people because what they do is they target you, and then they just they, they don't stop, and you know, no well, matter what them. it is that you them. say, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, i mean yeah, yeah. I just block them because I have no patience. But I'll tell you, I I find that Twitter or X now um, as a platform. It's, I wish Threads would It's degraded sharply. Yeah, and I wish Threads would actually be a legitimate alternative. It started out. You know, like a rocket ship. I mean, people were opening up accounts. Now all of a sudden, it's the same. It's the same thing. Nobody knew is coming to it. I don't understand what happened to all. Even on X, I don't understand where are all the engagements. There are things that are going on. Like, for example, Peter Navarro being held accountable, right? Finally, and uh, being held in contempt for violating. You know, so you put something out there. Next thing you know, there's like the same. I have uh, over 600,000 followers on Twitter. And so, right. uh, And I used to have like this massive engagement. It used to be more, but somehow or another, the numbers lowered. I refused to pay the, you know, the $8 a month for a blue Mm -hmm. check. So, you know, now if you have a blue check, chances are you're fake. You have maybe 14 followers and you're not the real person. Uh, And if you don't then it's somebody to go into the account in order to check to see how many followers they have. You know, it's the whole thing is just backwards. He came in. It is. He turned, he, it's like he made scrambled eggs out of this thing. And Twitter, which used to be at least a source for conversation, it was a source for, you know, discourse. Um, you don't have to, you know, all of a sudden now, it's basically a propaganda advertising machine, plain and simple.
1: You know, I'll tell you, man, I've been on Twitter for a long time. I was actually joking with my sister about it because she convinced me to get on Twitter uh, 13, 14 years ago, right? My first tweet is to her saying, hey, I'm, I'm on Twitter now. And then she stopped using it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course. But, uh, you know, I, I think I obviously did not uh, between now and then, probably continuously, um, except for right now, because you know you can see my hands I'm not tweeting. But uh, yeah, you know, Elon Musk fundamentally misunderstood Twitter from the get-go, didn't ask anybody who did fundamentally understand the platform from the outside, not from the inside. I, I never had somebody at Twitter that I spoke to even once. But even back in like 2010, uh, a group of friends of mine and I uh, started an international hashtag trend just by talking about something funny. Yeah. It was called hashtag top 10 with the number 10 lies, okay? They we're just saying, like, top 10 lies we've heard, right? Living in Miami, you would understand. There's a lot of people that are, you know, posing.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: In Spanish, they're called postalitas, like our mayor, Ponzi postalita. And um, so, like, we started an international hashtag trend. We were like, how the heck did we do this? We were just bored on a rainy day. And I look back at that years later, right? One of my top 10 lies posts was... Donald Trump is qualified to be the president. That was the first time I'd ever t- tweeted about the guy. How about that? Talk about prophetic shit on Twitter. But it's like even years later, like I started making hashtag trends organically, not like I had some sort of button or, you know, some method or some this or that. It would just I post something that went viral and it would go nuts and it would hit the trend board and it would sit there and top the American trends just by myself with the Occupy account.
0: Yeah, not anymore. Right?
1: Not anymore. Uh, I, I understood it from the outside, not from the inside. Elon Musk doesn't understand it from the inside, the outside, or right yeah. on top of it, okay? Yep. And that it's a platform to connect people. It's We've always said that Facebook is for the friends you have already. Twitter is for the friends you should have, Yeah. right? It's a universal phone book. And instead he turned around and said, oh gosh, these blue checks, these people who are verified – as the authentic figures that they are. The reason they came up with blue checks, part of it was that they wanted people to be able to be quoted by their tweets. But without verifying it was them, news outlets couldn't do it. So the verification provided this authentication for public uh, figures to journalism outlets that enabled Twitter's massive growth. Sure. That was a key part of it. All the people that have been on the inside have come out and said the blue check system was done that way. It is the heart of the and soul of the platform because it allows – Direct interaction with public figures and regular fe- people all over the country without any restrictions, right? Agreed. And he yeah. turned it on its head. Nobody wants to interact with these crazy, you know, paid blue checks. Nobody. I don't want to hear somebody saying the same stupid thing all and day long. And all they long. do is they-
0: spew the same shit in the same light. But Grant, let me let me thank you so. Let me thank you for joining me. You know, the hour goes by unfortunately way too quick. Um, I thank you. I definitely need to have you back because this this. Bullshit's not over, not by a long not, stretch. Not even close, and no. And we're going to all be in some serious uh, pain over the course of the next 18, 20 months until we finally get to the election. So I will ask you to come back, and I thank you for joining me on Mea Culpa.
1: Thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for unblocking me on
0: Twitter. Too. <laughs> you got it, my brother. I'll see you soon. And now for today's Mea Culpa. In thinking about my own motivation for turning on Donald Trump There were a number of reasons for my own road to Damascus moment. I mean, beyond the fact that it was the right thing to do, the fact that I was being thrown to the wolves to deal with everything, it was a wake-up call. I mean, it is a cold, cold morning when you finally realize that this man who you have dedicated your life to serving and for whom you have given everything doesn't give two fucking shits about you. Once you get through that, your mind and the rest of it becomes quite easy. I mean, I expect the same process is right now occurring in the minds of all 18 Georgia defendants, the one that knew Donald and the ones that don't. Because each and every one of them, and they're now completely and totally alone. They are wondering what happened and why did they allow themselves to have gotten sucked in so deep? They're unfortunately realizing now that it was all a sham. That they were used and now are being tossed aside. And again, that Trump only cares about Trump. One by one, they will turn. Not all at once, and not all of them, but the ones that matter will turn. And when that happens, Trump is completely, totally screwed. Because not only is he totally screwed, he is all alone. He is now the man that is an island all alone drowning in his own bullshit and soon to be in front of the judge who will ultimately hold him accountable and lock him up and throw away the key. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level.